And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome, everyone. Here we go. It is Monday, the beginning of another week. A busy broadcast week here at Sci-Fi For Me TV. We are live from the bunker. Those of you who are with us live, I see you all in the chat there. I see Cam and Dave and Keely. Good to see everybody there. My name is Jason Hutt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. And <clears throat> at some point, all of the audio is going to be balanced out. <laughs> We're... I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I had some I had some people notice on Saturday that our promos were a little bit louder than our microphones. I'm trying to balance everything out so it actually sounds like we know what we're doing. We're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, this uh, this show is also available as a podcast. For those of you who listen, I do want to encourage you to check out the live video every now and again. We're uh, live Monday, Wednesday, and Friday right now on various uh, video platforms: YouTube, Facebook, and Odyssey for the uh, for the live video. And then it ports over to Rumble if you are so inclined to uh, check us out over there. <sighs> Yeah, so there we are. I'm 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 working on I'm working on the tech. We're 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 getting there. We're getting there. So uh, yeah, the, I mentioned the live chat is open. You can always leave a comment if you are not with us live. The uh, email address live from the bunker at sci-fi for me com. If you want to suggest a topic or a guest for us to invite onto the show. Speaking of which, Wednesday, uh, we are going to be talking about. The GTA 6 leaks <clears throat> and uh, Mark Delfonso, our, our uh, gaming guy, is going to be here uh, to talk about that. And then on Friday, we're going to have a guest, Russ Colchamero, will be here to talk about his new book, which is coming from uh, Crazy 8 Press. And then I mentioned last week that we've got uh, Roy Okupe. Uh, from uh, Unique Studios in Nigeria, lined up to be a guest. We're still trying to figure out the schedule for that. So it looks like it's probably going to be next week sometime because we got to figure out between, between live and time zones and whether we're going to record and all of that. So that's coming. And then, of course, tonight we've got the H2O podcast. I don't know what we're going to be talking about yet. But we'll talk about something. Today... I'm going to step in it because there have been some things what have come out and depending on how the platforms react, this could get demonetized or not. We're going to be talking about both the situations with Mr. Miller and Ms. Hurd and we're going to start... And I don't know if we should or not. I'm uh, uh, anyway. All right. So let's start with Mr. Miller. Uh, Mindy says I want to see a table, ladders, and chairs. No, no, we're not going to do. We're not going to do wrestling. I, I've I've done my bit there. All right. So let me get that adjusted there. Okay. So over the weekend. <clears throat> We've had a number of uh, articles and posts and blog posts regarding Ezra Miller, and all of them uh, you can see here. Let me pull this up full screen so you can see it. Those of you who are listening, this is basically a Google a, 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 a web search uh, over the last week. We have the number of headlines here. The complete history of Ezra Miller's controversial career. Ezra Miller says they've become treatment for complex mental health issues. Uh, read this. The Ezra Miller story keeps getting darker and sadder. Um, Ezra Miller expose details alleged troubling behavior, unpacking the allegations against Ezra Miller. And it goes on and on and on. All of this activity is 
stemming from, spiraling out of, this article in Vanity Fair, which dropped yesterday, the 18th. So this is just like instant. Everybody has a reaction. Everybody's got a response. And of course, we're talking about it here. But I have a question about the motivations for this article. And some of this is... Some of this is rooted in my experience in advertising and marketing. That's, that's one aspect of this. Uh, another part of this is, you know, from the various different conversations that I've had with uh, Judah Inglemeyer with PR stuff and Cameron Pasha talking about Hollywood politics and, and, and Paul Daguerrevedian uh, talking about metrics and, and that sort of thing. My question is, who benefits from this article? And, and this is going to be complete speculation on my part, okay? I just want to be clear about that going into this, because as we read this article, and I'm not going to go through all of the details of the article, but as we go through this, this, this article details all of the troubles that Ezra Miller has been dealing with over the last couple, two, three years. And it, and it lines out a chronology of the various different incidents that have been reported, the arrests, the conflicts, and the, and the legal troubles. And it does it in a way that basically builds a case against Ezra Miller ever having a job anywhere until he gets help. Or serve time. And I have to wonder who benefits from this article. So this is Vanity Fair. This is Julie Miller. The headline, it's a special report. The headline, Ezra Miller's Messiah Delusions Inside the Flash Star's Dark Spiral. They're one of Hollywood's brightest stars and most troubled actors. Amid safety concerns and anxiety over the fate of a $200 million movie, Vanity Fair unearths disturbing new details in a saga of grandiose sermons, guns, drugs, and alleged assaults and grooming. That's, that's the subhead. That's the, that's the tease to get into this. This does not sound like it's going to go well. Right? Maybe? <laughs> yeah, Dave says, there I go again, connecting the dots. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to ask a question. I'm just going to ask a question. Okay. Uh, and, and yes, Dave, H2O, we do have a list. I need to look at the list. I need to find the list. I don't know where I put it. Uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be looking at our list to see what we're going to talk about tonight on the H2O podcast. Because that's what we usually do. We decide at the last minute, which means I don't get to promote it properly. But that's a whole nother discussion. All right, from the article, Ezra Miller did not, to put it mildly, invoke their right to remain silent. This past March, the actor was arrested in a tiki bar called Margarita, Margarita Village in Hilo, Hawaii, after shouting profanities, spitting in a patron's face, and grabbing a microphone from a woman singing karaoke, karaoke, karaoke. I've got teriyaki on the brain. I've got, uh, I've got homemade beef jerky that I got to make. I got to marinate in teriyaki. Karaoke. Let me try that again. Uh, spitting in a favorite grabbing a microphone from a woman singing karaoke to shallow from a star is born. Miller claimed to have been accosted by a Nazi and to have evidence. In fact, one of the first things you hear the actor say in the three-minute police body cam video that circulated after the arrest is something the officers had likely never heard from a disorderly drive bar, uh, dive bar patron before. I film myself when I get assaulted for NFT crypto art, end quote. Once outside, Miller, sweaty and disheveled in a black suit, jacket, burgundy pants, and a red tie, like that matters, barks at the cops to state their full names and badge numbers. And this is the, basically, this is the arrest video they got circulated all the time, where he was basically trying to, trying to make out the, the cops 
as molesting him, touching him inappropriately. I don't, I don't want to be searched by a man. And a lot of people at the time dismissed this as, as somewhat performative on Miller's part. But it looks like pro- probably uh, he's manifesting some mental health issues. And some people started to, to question, started to wonder, what's going on with this guy? And, of course, they have to make, they have to make the point that Miller's pronouns are they, them. I don't care, but that's just me. The arrest, further down here, the arrest was just one turn in a downward spiral so confusing and troubling that even old friends have difficulty parsing the chaos. What's clear is that Miller has been endangering not just their career, but also their safety, and allegedly that of others, in increasingly plain sight for the last two years. Since 2020, the actor has been accused of crimes and abuses spanning 6,000 miles and two oceans, throwing a chair that hit a woman in the forehead, threatening a couple in their bedroom and stealing their wallet and passport in Hawaii, on top of the incident at Margarita Village, choking two strangers in Iceland. That was the first incident that we saw. And breaking into a neighbor's home in Vermont to steal alcohol, which resulted in a felony charge. Now, he's got to still appear in court for the arraignment on that September 26th, and that's in this article as well. Uh, We go through the stuff about the two protection orders that have been filed, and one of them, I think, has been dismissed because uh, they don't think they can win. We've got the Vermont State Police getting involved with the uh, the 25-year-old woman named Anna with her three children that moved into the to the compound in Vermont. Uh, we've got all of the guns that have been floating around, but here's here's the here's where it starts getting weird. Warner Brothers has not commented on their marquee superhero and declined to speak for this story, but a source close to the situation says the studio and the actor's agency, CAA, suggested Miller work with someone in crisis PR. On August 15th, you remember, Miller came out and apologized and said, I'm working on stuff, I'm going to see a counselor and all this. Now, apparently, this confirms some of the speculation that we all had that somebody at Warner Brothers told Miller, straighten up or get out. And we'll see what results because Warner Brothers has got a $200 million movie they got to save. And whatever you may think about Ezra Miller and whatever is going on there. Is that the right decision for Warner Brothers Discovery to make that they want to try to save this movie that's got Ezra Miller in it? But it's got Ezra Miller all over it. It's not like they could just replace him in in a few scenes. He's in it playing multiple versions of of Barry Allen. So replacing him would almost be so cost prohibitive that you'd never make your money back. On August 15th, Miller finally admitted they were in the midst of an intense crisis and said in a statement, quote, I now understand that I am suffering complex mental health issues and have begun ongoing treatment. I want to apologize to everyone that I have alarmed and upset with my past behavior. I am committed to doing the necessary work to get back to a healthy, safe and productive stage in my life, end quote. A source with knowledge of the situation tells Vanity Fair that the work currently consists of undergoing therapy. Now, I'm going to say this. If he's sincere, more power to him. I hope he gets the help he needs. And I hope that it's beneficial and it's therapeutic and he comes out the other side a better person and more stable and able to deal with life. I mean, that's uh, you don't you don't uh, you don't wish ill on people. That's that's just that's counterproductive. And it's there are so many things that you bring on yourself by by thinking ill thoughts of other people. It's 
Anyway. Over the last six weeks, Vanity Fair has spoken to more than a dozen people who crossed paths with Miller in recent years, some of whom work closely or live with the actor on the 95-acre farm in Vermont. Most sources describe Miller's spiral as a conflagration of the mental health issues the actor has acknowledged, along with drugs, guns, and outlandish claims that have raged for more than two years. They say the actor verbally and emotionally abused those around him, and referred to themselves alternately as Jesus and the devil. Now, this is new stuff where apparently Miller has or had somewhat of a messiah complex because of his role as the Flash. Three people say Miller has also wrapped the superhero they play into the grandiose speechifying. The actor says one source was, quote, claiming that the Flash is the one who brings the multiverses together just like Jesus. All this has been a disturbing trajectory for Miller, whose critical breakthrough came at 19 <clears throat> with their deeply unnerving performance in the 2011 social massacre, school massacre drama, We Need to Talk About Kevin. And then we talk about the rest of, the, the rest of his career and breakout and everything going along uh, where he's like now this breakout star and he's, he's the hot ticket item, right, for everything. So, yeah. See, this is this is the part that that bothers me. You get into this thing where you're talking about the development of his career and the trajectory he's been on, and his behavior on the press junkets. You know, his wardrobe and and the the different things that he's said and done and whatnot, and it it. It reads right here. This this part right here in the article is where we have the nugget of why we're still here. Though it veered dark, the actor's eccentricity initially struck many as endearing, a rarity in a town where most celebrities are on script, even offset. Miller's outspokenness about sexuality and gender identity earned them a reputation for empathy and progressiveness, as well as effusive internet titles like Queer Icon, The Hero We Need Right Now, and Our Non-Binary King. Wait a minute, king is a male word, right? So king can't be a non-binary word, can it? But this right here, this is the core of why Ezra Miller gets a pass from so many people. And we saw that in the arrest video from Hawaii, where he's, he's taking his identitarianism, he's taking the, the identity of being non-binary, and using that, weaponizing that, using it as a defense, as a, as a preemptive strike. And I say that deliberately because I'm non-binary, so anything that you do against me is because you're a bigot. Where have we heard this kind of thing before? And we're likely to hear it again. I'll get into that in a little bit. But this this notion of Miller and this this notion of Miller having a having a messiah complex and all of this they say is rooted back to to his parents' divorce and the fact that you have the the pandemic and the lockdown, and now he's got no structure in his life because he doesn't have any work. He's stuck at home. How many of us? How many of us de dealt with that? Right? We all got put under house arrest for for a year and a half. How many people have had mental issues, mental health problems, emotional health problems because of of being locked in in their homes? We've all had to deal with this. And yes, we get we get into the Iceland incident. That was the first indicator that we were going to have a problem with this kid. And this goes into the choking, and then we get into the stuff with Hawaii, and the 
you know, the stuff that was going on with his parents. And apparently the guns got locked up. Miller didn't like that. And he had the bow and arrow that he used in some movie. Um, I, I don't see where it was. But this kid's got problems. A lot of problems. But this article gets so detailed, item after item after item after item, about what kind of problems this Ezra Miller has. And I don't know what the purpose of this article is. Because it's in Vanity Fair, it's not Hollywood Reporter, it's not, it's not Deadline, it's not, uh, it's not Variety. It's Vanity Fair, which means it's a social circle type of thing, kind of like with the Atlantic. Vanity Fair is the, is the cocktail party crowd, right? You've got the Hollywood trades, which is the business stuff. Remember what we talked about with Cameron Pasha. The trades are where they tell the Hollywood people this is what's going on. Pieces like Vanity Fair and Atlantic and that sort of thing, they're, they're New Yorker. They're the social stratus. They're the, they're the, the society pages, as it were, right? So you've got this long, detailed account of all of these problems that Ezra Miller's had. But there's really no resolution in this article. It just says, here's all of this stuff that's going on. And what do we do about it? You know, all of this stuff in Hawaii... And the, the Flash, the idea that Ezra Miller was going to lose his job as the Flash, that apparently is the wake-up call. Which got him turned around and said, okay, I'm going to go see a therapist, I'm going to go see counseling and whatever, because I don't want to lose the Flash. Well, he's probably going to lose the Flash anyway. And Warner Brothers can't just cancel the Flash like they did with Batgirl. Because it's a big, a big investment. And I get it. Business and right and wrong don't necessarily mesh. I have no idea. Sci-Fi Snob says, the purpose is sympathy and to rehabilitate his career. He's using the society pages to get to Hollywood, watch for a piece of variety next. Well, see, that, that assumes that this article is coming from Miller's camp. And I don't get the impression that it's from Miller's camp that's doing this. But I also don't get the impression that it's Warner Brothers doing this either. But if Warner Brothers sat there and told, because Miller goes in with his agent from CAA, and they go have a sit-down at Warner Brothers uh, Discovery at the studio, and Miller apologizes, whatever, and if Warner Brothers is saying, you've got to talk to somebody in crisis PR, in addition to the counseling, this feels like crisis PR. Sort of. But it's the first peace. And stop, you're right. We are going to get more, I'm sure. But I don't know who benefits from this particular article. Because they even talked to Miller's ex-fiance. And it leaves this at the end with Miller not looking very good at all. As this story went to press, Vanity Fair exchanged messages with Miller's former fiance, Aaron, who asked to be identified by her first name and whom the actor was dating when they began playing The Flash in 2016. Quote, the Ezra I knew wasn't violent or physically abusive toward anyone, she says. To think back is painful because we had a deep love and he was good to me. But she does remember darkness after the breakup. Quote, For years he convinced me and all our friends that I was abusive, but looking back, I would be calling out his disrespect and he wouldn't take responsibility and just call me abusive because of my reaction. I could have handled it better, 
I didn't know the term gaslight back then. I was emotionally effed up for years. She says that Miller broke up with her after hiring a spiritual advisor who told the actor that she was a parasite. When the allegations of Miller being abusive to others surfaced, she admits she was hit with sick relief. Quote, maybe I wasn't the abusive one after all. Aaron's feelings are complicated now. Quote, I can make excuses for him all day, but I don't want to anymore, she says. The illusions of grandeur need to be called out. I will love Ezra always, and I don't want him to continue down this dark road. That's where the article ends. There's no, this is, is this the beginning of a redemption arc? Because this feels like the villain's origin story here. Here's all of these things that happened, and, and this is all of the terrible behavior that he's done, and what, how do you solve a problem like Ezra Miller? What happens next? What's the next step on this? Because a lot of it depends on what the goal is here. Because this doesn't make Ezra Miller look good. Granted, it gets into some of the reasons behind maybe why he's been doing some of the things he's done. So maybe this is the beginning of excusing all of that behavior. It doesn't do that for me. This just basically lay, lays out a case for why he should be in a hospital or jail or both. But having said all of that, again, if he is sincere in getting help, more power to him. But part of that has to be consequences. There have to be consequences for choices. And if Ezra Miller makes choices to break the law, then he's got to pay for that. You do the time for the crime, right? You do the crime, you do the time. There has to be some kind of action, basically, because of what he's done. Now, some of the charges have been dropped. The Vermont thing that's going on with, uh, with the break-in and the burglary, that, you know, he's still got an arraignment on September 26th to deal with that. But I, I, I worry, my, my speculation, I worry that this is the beginning of an attempt to... To get Miller off scot-free, where he doesn't he doesn't pay for anything that he's done. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I I would hope that David Zaslav is smarter than that, but David Zaslav also has a multi-billion-dollar company that's in the red, and he's got a two hundred plus million-dollar movie that he can't do anything with if this thing goes south. So, conflicts, conflicting, conflicting priorities there. I get it. I, if, I, if I were Zaslav, I would not have Ezra Miller anywhere near the press junket for this thing, even though he's the star. But what do you do? How do you deal with this? And do we, as fans, as the general public... Do we accept the notion that Miller could clean his act up and be a productive member of society? Or do we just write him off? If he's sincere about getting help, and if he goes through and does the work, and that's what it's going to be. It's going to be work, and he's got to make a choice to do the work. Do we... Do we, do we accept the redemption arc that looks like it's being set up? I don't know. Snob says he's not a good Flash anyway. Cut your losses, get rid of him, get someone else. The guy from CW would be a better pick. Well, <coughs> there's been some talk about Grant Gustin. Personally, I don't think Gustin is the best... Barry Allen either. I would like to see a Barry Allen on screen who looks like Barry Allen, who's not on the spectrum, 
who's not some young kid who doesn't know anything. Barry Allen is a forensic scientist. He's got some years on him. He's got some experience on him. He's not some 20-something kid with autism or whatever. He's, he's, a, he's a productive member of society. He's, 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 a, he's a police officer. He's a, he's, a, he's a scientist. That's the Barry Allen that I still am waiting to see. Because we still we didn't even get that on the on the CW that much, you know. I mean, perpetually late, yeah. But he didn't look anything like Barry Allen. He's not old enough to play Barry Allen. None of them are. the The guy Rick Cosnett, who was also on the CW, he ended up he was he was playing uh, Eddie Thawne. He's got the look better than Grant Gustin does. And he's got the age. I could buy him as Barry Allen before I buy Grant Gustin or Ezra Miller. I don't know. Keely says, if this was 1990, I would have loved to see John Wesley Shipp as the Flash on the silver screen. I, You know, that would have been fun back in the day. And there are plenty of fan trailers out there that put together John Wesley Shep and Michael Keaton and Christopher Reeve and Linda Carter and, and all of that. But honestly, and I said this at the time, John Wesley Shep doesn't even look like Barry Allen. Because Barry Allen's supposed to be a blonde. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If you want to be faithful to the source material... <laughs> like that matters. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Snob says, I don't see anyone fanning over Miller like they do with Cavill, Momoa, and Gadot. Yeah, there's, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's a camp of fans out there somewhere. They're not, they're probably not nearly as rabid as fans of, say, <clears throat> Amber Heard. We're going to talk about that when we get back. Stand by. If you unsubscribe to our podcasts, our legion is doomed. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Oh my goodness. That, Jason, is probably, I think, the hardest question you're going to ask. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. That's a good question, though. That's an interesting question. Question. That's a great question. Count on Sci-Fi for me to be there asking all of the questions. Um, it's another great question. These are all really good questions. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Good morning, multiverse. Saturday morning at 11, 10 central, only on Sci-Fi for me TV. All right, here we go. We are back live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here along with all of you here with me. Kicking around some ideas and some thoughts in the chat. And uh, yeah, it's it's one of those it's one of those things where you thought just when you thought that this was going to go away, it doesn't go away. Sci-Fi Snob's a good uh, question. If fans are not as rabid for Miller as they are for Heard, yet they'll get rid of Heard, why not dump Miller? There's a couple of things there, I think, involved with that. Because Amber Heard's involvement in the Aquaman movies, and the DC movies, is not as extensive as Ezra Miller's role as The Flash. So I think that factors into it, the fact that uh, you've got so much... I mean you've got an entire film that's centered around this character, multiple versions of this character. I think if if you were looking at an ensemble type of thing like Justice League, it might be easier to, to replace Miller than it would be in a, a solo film like we're dealing with here with The Flash. So that, I mean, it's pure speculation on my part. But the other, the other part of that is... The allegations against Amber Heard, I, 
pure speculation on my part. But I think the situation with Amber Heard has far more has has more far reaching consequences than the Ezra Miller thing. Ezra Miller is this is this is dealing with Ezra Miller. With Amber Heard, you have the added complication that allegedly <clears throat> allegedly she's blackmailing people in Hollywood. Now, uh, again, that's an allegation. That's a rumor that has surfaced over the last few weeks that she has used sex and blackmail to get some of the different roles that she's had. I, yeah, I'm not saying that she has. I'm saying those allegations are out there. But for whatever reason, whether the, whether the blackmail story is true or not, for whatever reason, you have an, a, a, a group, a segment online that has fully invested everything they have into Amber Heard and the restoration of her reputation. We have to rehabilitate Amber Heard for some reason. I don't know why they think they've got to do it, but they think they've got to do it. And and we have hit piece after hit piece coming after the after the trial. Now a jury decided. This is not just, you know, the court of public opinion. This was a jury in a legal proceeding that decided that Amber Heard had defamed Johnny Depp. They also decided that Depp had defamed Amber Heard through proxy through one of his, his, his representatives, but not as badly and not as harmful to the career. So it's definitely a win for Johnny Depp, and people lost their minds because, and I don't think it has very much to do with the actual players in the piece. I don't think it has to do with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard as much as it has to do with the Me Too movement and what that means in terms of power and influence. That's what this is about. It's not about Amber Heard. It's not about Johnny Depp. They're incidental to the story. They're the, they're the pieces that people are using for a bigger, broader endeavor, I think. Because the Me Too movement has to be about men being abusive to women. And it had, it had steam for a while until it didn't. Because some of these allegations and some of these accusations turned out not to be true. And it lost a little bit of wind in their sails as things go. And this Me Too thing, this, this Washington Post piece that Amber Heard apparently allegedly wrote, she didn't, or at least she didn't by herself, this was a key piece. This was a cornerstone. This was, this was a, a, a thread for the whole Me Too movement. It was, a, it, was, it was the rope they were all hanging on to for a while because this was a big thing. You know, she's making all these accusations and she's the face but it turns out that she wasn't abused. At least she didn't prove that she was abused. And all of the information that came out in testimony after testimony after testimony and all of the evidence and all of the video and all of the, all of the everything that came out in the trial shows that Johnny Depp was the one who was abused. But see, that's not a narrative that we can get behind. Because, you know, men don't get abused, which is BS. But that's not the narrative that they need in order to amass power. And that's what it is. It's about power and control. It's always about power and control. The question is, who benefits? Who benefits from the media propping up Amber Heard? Third wave feminists, the ACLU, the Me Too movement, who benefits? And who benefits from 
the Rolling Stone magazine article targeting YouTube creators. doesn't target YouTube. It targets YouTube creators. Specifically, that umbrella guy and a couple of other people. Quoting Christopher Boozy at Bot Sentinel. And when this, when this article was first published, it did not include the detail that Bot Sentinel in 2020 had been hired by Amber Heard's team in order to do some reputation management after they did the same for Meghan Markle. So there has been, might still be, a fiduciary relationship between Amber Heard's camp and Bot Sentinel, which means that Bot Sentinel has a, a vested interest in the continued success of their client or past client. And Tug's got a pretty good article on this because he's a he's a target of this latest Bot Sentinel report. They they specifically go after him. But as he rightly points out, the the disclaimer that now lives in this Rolling Stone article was, yeah, Bot Sentinel has been hired by by Amber Heard before, but there's no there's no reason for that. You know, we're doing this completely on our own. That disclaimer is not from the report that's cited in this article. It's from a prior report. So they're still being disingenuous, even though they're acknowledging the relationship that Bot Sentinel has with Amber Heard. They're still not being honest. You remember when Rolling Stone used to cover music? It seems smart to cash in on misogyny, racism, and harassment since there is so much more of it around now. How can I get on all this? You know, I just... One of the, one of the things... It's, it's, one of those, it's one of those things, right? I mean, and that's what it is. Hey, there's this thing. We can make money. And that's what they're accusing the YouTube creators of doing is, is cashing in and, and creating and monetizing all of this material with regard to... Pick your topic, Amber Heard, Snyderverse, whatever, Star Wars, Last Jedi, Kathleen Kennedy. You're monetizing race, and you're monetizing hatred, and you're monetizing being triggered and targeted harassment and all this. You remember all, all of the stuff about, about uh, uh, what's her name, Rose Tico, Kelly Marie Tran. All of these accusations that are out there about racism and misogyny and harassment... And you get, what, two or three different examples of it? Where are the receipts? There were, there have been people, Stephen Walton's been one of them, the guys over at uh, World Class BSers, they looked into it. Uh, Mecca Random. There's been a number of people that have looked into those allegations of racism against Kelly Marie Tran, and nobody found it. There's no documentation for it. There's no, there's no proof. There's just your say-so. Dave says, I need some Arnica cream to rub on my forehead to get rid of my Amber headache. I gotta say, <clears throat> and Mrs. Boss will uh, Mrs. Boss will attest to this, there actually is something to that. Now I know that everybody wants to make a big, you know, funny out of out of the Arnica cream stuff. There is a version of it called Arnica 35. It's not it's not an over the counter thing. It's something you got to order because it's a specific concentrate. It's an it's an extra concentration of it. And Mrs. Boss uses it because she has a tendency to bruise easily. You know, anything. I mean, okay. Mindy could walk past a chair and get a bruise. I mean, that's how easily she bruises. You could you could look at her funny and suddenly she's got a bruise on her arm. It, 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 I, where'd that bruise come from? Have no idea. That's, that's all of this. So the Arnica cream she uses, and it works really well. It doesn't work instantly. It's not a 24-hour thing. But it does work. So there is... Something to it. 
but not like they were trying to make out in the trial. I'll tell you that much. <clears throat> so it's 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 this it's this presentation, and that's what this is. This this whole thing about uh, who's right and who's wrong. The 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 attacks on the YouTube creators. People like Tug, but not just Tug. I mean, they went after everybody on on LawTube. They went after Ricada. Their their uh, bot sentinel right now is going after Nate the lawyer, doxing him. Of course, Nate turned around and said, oh, you, you've put my CV out there. You put my resume out there. You've listed my experience. Thanks for, for marketing me as a lawyer. Now, now I can go get some more clients. Nate's turned it around and has also done some digging into Christopher Boozy over a Bot Sentinel, who's not completely on the up and up either. And Bot Sentinel, of course, doesn't really do what they say it does in terms of scanning for bots and reputation control. Uh, let, me, let me do this. I'm going to analyze our handle on Twitter. And look, we've, we've got a 7% rating. We're a normal channel. We're not a hate channel. That's good to know. Yay. Right? Tug's probably up here in the problematic thing. But if you look here on their, on their website, BotSentinel.com, they have a hate tracker. And they have a hate tracker specifically for Amber Heard. And if you look at this, it's a long list. These are all of the accounts that Bot Sentinel says hates Amber Heard or has material that monetizes the anger and the outrage and how dare she and she's wrong and justice for Johnny and all this other stuff. You've got all of these accounts. But what's the criteria that they're using here? Because to listen to some of them, all it takes is mentioning her name. And if you do two or three or four videos, or 128, as is the case for, for Tug, because Tug was looking at all of this prior to the trial, because there was the trial over in the UK. And there was the stuff that was going on down in Australia. And I'm Pretty sure we're going to hear more about that. But you've got this hit piece from from Rolling Stone. And then you've got a new one here from Washington Post. This one just dropped yesterday. And, of course, it's using the Bot Sentinel stuff. This is Taylor Lorenz again, who has been proven to be somewhat disingenuous in her work. I'll say that. And this is still talking about how YouTube just has a problem. Oh, Snob, is it 46% on Bot Sentinel? Well, look at you. That's interesting. I wonder, I wonder what makes the difference there. Hmm. Well, as long as you're as long as you're still, you know, satisfactory, right? What is uh let's see, what is 46, well, you're, yeah, you're still in satisfactory range. So, yeah, there we go. That's that's fine. But you have this article here. YouTube remains rife with misogyny and harassment, creators say. So now, see, Taylor Lorenz is framing this as YouTube creators worrying about other YouTube creators. Like, so now we've got some insiders that are telling us, yeah, it's really like this. It's like the YouTube, it's, it's like the YouTube community is an actual club where we all get together and they sit in the clubhouse and figure out our secret handshakes and whatnot. Uh, in April 2016, YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki took the stage in front of rows of creators at the company's second ever creator summit in Los Angeles. The event was a gathering of some of the internet's biggest stars. And Wojcicki was there to listen to their concerns and feedback. So now we're framing this 
as we're here to help. We're here to figure out the problem and solve the problem. She began by touting YouTube's ad growth and the company's plans to expand its original programming, which is a dumb idea. But when she opened the floor for questions, she was faced with a barrage of criticism from female creators. Now, this sets up the misogyny part. Women creators weren't doing well, according to an account of the meeting in a new book, like, comment, subscribe, Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination by Bloomberg Technology reporter Mark Bergen. Many were dealing with vicious harassment, bullying, and stalking, he recounts. The toxicity on the platform was escalating, they said, and the networked attacks they faced online were growing more threatening. Bergen's book details how one female creator called out the rampant bullying and explained that she was terrified after a fellow YouTuber made hostile videos about her, doxed her, and sent waves of angry followers to attack. Another female creator took the mic and said she was dealing with similar issues. Okay, so you've got, what, how many people are actually creating stuff on YouTube? A few million people? What's the percentage here? I'm not saying it doesn't happen. In interviews with the Washington Post, creators and experts, what experts, say that those problems are still an issue despite updated harassment policies rolled out in 2019. A report issued last month by the Center for Countering Digital Hate, a British nonprofit, declared that harassment against women is flourishing on YouTube. Though the platform recently banned the online men's rights influencer Andrew Tate after he amassed millions in ad revenue. See, this is another dig at the, at the capitalism. Other channels espousing similar ideology are posting regularly and using the platform to grow their audience, the report concluded. Well, that's what YouTube's about, right? Growing your audience. We're at 2137 right now is our subscriber count. I'd like that to be 2150 or 2200 or 22,000. That's the whole that that that's the point. If you're if you're creating this and if you're looking at it as a business venture and you're monetized and the ad revenue is part of your business model, then yes, you're going to be using YouTube to grow your audience. Duh. Some channels are also still uploading Tate's content to YouTube Shorts, YouTube's answer to TikTok. Misogyny is alive and well on YouTube, the center's report found. Videos publishing misin I'm sorry, videos pushing misinformation, hate, and outright conspiracies targeting women are often monetized. Wojcicki declined to comment. YouTube spokesman Jack Malin says the platform is dedicated to keeping itself free of harassment. <clears throat> Quote, harassment and cyberbullying are not allowed on YouTube, and we have clear policies that prohibit targeting an individual with threats or prolonged and malicious insults based on attributes like their gender identity and expression. Do you have rules about harassing people because they support Johnny Depp? Do you have rules about harassing people that criticize The Last Jedi? Do you have rules about harassing people for not liking various different policies regarding a particular virus. I mean, come on, which does it's got to cut both ways or it's or it's useless. Because if you decide that you're going to censor certain channels and decide that they're going to be harassment, whatever it is that they do, whether it's mass flagging or false flagging or brigading, and if YouTube's going to sit there and decide, well, yes, this one is harassment, then you're acting as a publisher, YouTube. And you can't do that. Talk about that here in a second. <clears throat> So I'm going through this. Now here we get into the the Amber Heard Johnny Depp thing. We're we're pretty far into it, but it has to be part of this thing because it's a pillar 
It is a foundational element in this argument that certain YouTube creators need to be removed and done away with. And this is all, this whole thing was all set up for this. Creator said that the Amber Heard versus Johnny Depp defamation trial was a pivotal moment in the online harassment landscape, emboldening misogynistic YouTubers and allowing them to collectively amass millions of followers. Depp won his lawsuit against Heard. Creator said the trial and the verdict normalized a level of hate that has become commonplace on the platform. Okay. Creators who leaned hard into anti-Amber Heard content saw their following skyrocket through posting videos that experts say are misogynistic, amassing money from merchandise sales and ad revenue in the process. What experts? Who says? Where's that analysis? Where's that report? I, I, okay, somebody wrote a book. Where's his research? This is, this is irresponsible journalism. I'll, I'll, I'll give it that label, journalism, but it's not really. Journalism involves research. Journalism involves looking into facts. And used to be the standard for reporters before they got all this big idea in their head that they were journalists, reporters would get at least two sources telling them the same thing before they ever went to print. You have to corroborate this stuff. You can't just go out there and say, hey, so-and-so did such-and-such. Prove it. Where is the documentation? Now we get into the hit on that umbrella guy, naming him by name, and we all, we all know what his name is, we all know where he lives, that he's been doxxed I don't know how many times. That umbrella guy has grown his following to more than 400,000 subscribers, largely by posting anti-Amber Heard content. Depp's lawyer said he'd been in communication with several YouTubers, including Tug, YouTube channels like That Umbrella Guy are not an exception to the rule. They are the rule, said Christopher Boozy, founder and CEO of Bot Sentinel, a research firm specializing in disinformation. You know, that, that right there is probably more true than you would probably expect. A research firm specializing in disinformation. Well, they do that. They do spread disinformation. They do specialize in disinformation because they're putting out a bunch of stuff that's not true. Stuff that can't be substantiated and stuff that's not reliable because there have been several people posting on social media that they've gone in to the various different tools and, and models that Bot Sentinel does to detect bot activity and Bot Sentinel doesn't do what it, they say that it does. And then for Boozy to go after Nate the lawyer, this was fun because Nate found Christopher Boozy's filing for bankruptcy, which neglected to include the income from a business that he owns called Bot Sentinel. Christopher Boozy apparently did not report that he had a business and that he had a source of income when he filed for bankruptcy. And apparently he's done it more than once because I guess he couldn't pay his rent. I haven't completely got my head wrapped around all of those details yet, but Nate has decided to engage. And this is not gonna this is not gonna go well. See, here's here's where all of this goes sideways for me. Because you have, and we've seen this before, we saw it with the Sad Puppies groups, we saw it with all of the media going, going all in for the Hugo crowd, we saw it all, all happening during the Gamergate stuff, we've seen it during the Comicsgate stuff. These people are fully invested in a narrative because if they were to acknowledge 
that YouTube creators like Tug, like Rakeda, like us, if we're the new thing, if we're the new paradigm, then they lose control. Again, that's what this is about, power and control. It's always about power and control. Ask yourself, who benefits? Who benefits from this kind of media hit against successful YouTube creators? It's not YouTube. It's traditional media. It's the Hollywood crowd, the entertainment media. And you can get into politics with this as well. Thanks for being here, Keely. Good to see you. Have fun at work. <clears throat> but this, this also goes into uh, a, a, something that we've been seeing over the last few years with regard to the marketing and the exploitation of anger, rage, clickbait. And remember, I've said... The brand here, Sci-Fi Brand, we don't want to get into being a rage bait channel. But we've got a thread over on, on Twitter. <clears throat> Dr. Thalassiren, which I don't think is her real name because Thalassiren is a Star Wars reference, has a really good thread on fan baiting as a form of marketing. And it gets into all of this stuff where basically the corporations have, have realized, have decided that they can weaponize racism, misogyny, harassment, because we know it's going to happen. <clears throat> and it's one of, those, one of those things where the corporations have decided that we're going to lean into this and we're going to use it, one, to discredit any criticism against our product, and two, to stir up chatter and talk and controversy because no publicity is bad publicity, right? Uh, Mindy, what are you, you're asking about sound. Is my sound not there? Because I've got winky blinkies here. <clears throat> so I don't know. Anyway, that that's the that's the thing. And then we talked about you know we talk about uh, YouTube not really being able to do anything about it. The Fifth Circuit has decided that uh, you really can't do anything about it. YouTube, Texas has a law now in place that was challenged, and it went to the Fifth Circuit, and they've decided that the law can stand that basically says that these social media platforms cannot, shall not, may not censor free speech. And it applies Section 230 of the Communications Act and it says, you're a platform. And if you, your, your business model and the idea of free speech does not include you telling other people what speech they can have or not, and I imagine this is going to go to the Supreme Court, and we'll see what happens there. There's some concern about Kavanaugh, and we know John Roberts is compromised. So it'll be interesting to see where this one goes, because this one basically says Twitter can't censor you. YouTube can't censor you. If they want the continued prote protection of Section 230, they cannot censor anyone. From anything they say. Now, of course, you could probably you could probably massage that, and you know, calls for calls for insurrection or anything illegal or anything like that. Sure, okay, fine, you can have some carve outs on that, maybe. But in a strict application of two thirty, you can't. You can't take anything down because that makes the platform. A publisher. We're going to see what's going on. I don't know. It will go to the Supreme Court, I'm sure. And they're going to be talking about that particular topic and some other stuff over on Comics Division's channel tonight. Uh, yelling at parked cars, which I think 
is start with I think it starts right as the H2O podcast ends. So you can see our conversation over at H2O podcast, which is at nine Eastern, eight Central, and then yelling at park cars after that. I'll I'll encourage you to go check that out because it, there's always an interesting discussion over there on the, on that panel those with those folks. So that's going to do it for us today. Ran a little bit long, but that's okay. We're getting there. We're 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 making sure that we're thorough and we cover everything that we need to cover. We don't shortchange you because there's value to what we do. You keep coming back and we appreciate that and I think it is um, always good to have new people coming in. And if you want to see all of our social media stuff, we're on 10 different social media platforms, four video platforms. You can you subscribe to us over on Rumble, I guess. I mean, the YouTube gets ported to Rumble. Uh, we don't do anything live over there because that costs money that we don't have. Uh, if you want to send us money, we've got a PayPal account. There's the subscribe star thing there, and uh, we always uh, have the newsletter you can sign up for as well. Any feedback you want to send us, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com, or you can leave a comment on any of the platforms here, or send us a note through socials. Suggest your topics, guests that we can invite. Don't forget, we we're going to be talking about the GTA 6 leak on Wednesday. And uh, Russell will be here on Friday, and then next week we'll do it all again. And we are crawling toward episode 500 by the end of the year. So stick around. <sighs> Lots of stuff going on. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Remember, the media is the enemy. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.